This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to African News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for Pan-African news and world developments. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Coming up on African News Tonight... We see that the world in 2023 is not the world after the Second World War, and therefore we are supporting two permanent seats in the Security Council also for the African Continent. That's German Foreign Minister Annalena Baerbock, who with, who with her French counterpart added their support for Africa to have two permanent seats on the UN Security Council. Details coming up. Also, we'll hear from a young candidate in Nigeria's upcoming elections. The Polisario movement in the Western Sahara holds leadership elections today. And the sarcophagus of Egyptian pharaoh Ramses II is heading to Paris. These stories and more on African News Tonight. We start with our top story. The United States has announced a reward of up to $10 million for information leading to the arrest of the alleged leader of the 2019 attack on Nairobi's Dasit D2 Hotel complex. The attack in the Kenyan capital killed 21 people, including a U.S. citizen, and injured 30 others. A survivor of the attack and security analysts have welcomed the reward, the third in three months offered by the U.S. for East African terrorist suspects. Victoria Munga reports from Nairobi. Kennedy Masharia was working at the Dusit D2 complex one morning in January 2019 when he had gunshots. He and his colleagues barricaded themselves inside their office until police found them and let them out. Two of his colleagues were not so lucky when the gunfire began. They were shot and killed. Masharia welcomed Thursday's U.S. announcement of a 10 million U.S. dollars reward for information leading to the arrest of Mahmoud Abdi Aden, the alleged mastermind of the attack. I think the idea of looking for whoever masterminded the whole plan and everything will be of great help to, to serving uh, justice to the families that uh, lost their loved ones and uh, some friends, some colleagues, some workmates. I feel it would serve justice to the whole thing and maybe it will bring closure to the whole ordeal. Mahmoud Abdi Aden is leader of the Somalia-based militant group Al-Shabaab. The U.S. State Department officially designated him as a terrorist in October. U.S. Ambassador to Kenya, Meg Whiteman, announced the reward offer, which is equivalent to more than 1.2 billion Kenya shillings. She says the U.S. is seeking information leading to Aden's arrest and conviction in any country, plus information on anyone else involved in the Dusit D2 attack. We encourage anyone with information on those responsible for the attack to contact Rewards for Justice on Signal, Telegram, or WhatsApp via the Kenyan and Somali tip lines displayed on the posters. The U.S. reward offer is the third of its kind in three months. In November, the U.S. offered 10 million U.S. dollars for information leading to the capture of three Al-Shabaab leaders, Ahmed Dirie, Muhad Karate, and Jihad Mustafa, alleged to be responsible for attacks in both Kenya and Somalia. 
On January 5th, the U.S. issued a reward offer for information of Malim Ayman, believed to have planned an attack on Kenya's Monday Bay Airbase, which is utilized by the U.S. Armed Forces for counterterrorism training. Security analysts like Daniel Omondi say the U.S. rewards are signaling Washington's proactive efforts to nab terrorists in Kenya. Especially after the 1998 bombing of the U.S. embassies, um, the U.S. must keep on, you know, being on the forefront to help us, especially with surveillance, with information, uh, so that we can be able to keep our region safe. I I think that um, the government, the U.S. government, uh, by giving these bounties, is um, enhancing efforts, especially with regards to collection of information, which is very, very key to preventing further attacks in the region. Kenya and the U.S. have formed a multi-agency investigation unit to counter terrorism and share information to avoid attacks. Authorities from both countries say the unit has been a success. Victoria Amunga for VOA News, Nairobi. The Polisario movement in Morocco, controlled Western Sahara, holds leadership elections today. The French news agency AFP says the poll is taking place at a five-day congress at the Sarhawi refugee camp in Algeria's desert. The news service says the Polisario's 73-year-old head, Brahim Ghali, is favored to win re-election. The slogan of the conference is stepping up the campaign to make the occupier withdraw and to impose total sovereignty in the self-proclaimed Sahrawi Arab Democratic Republic. The gathering comes amid rising tensions between Morocco and Algeria, which severed ties with Rabat in 2021 over control of the Western Sahara and over Morocco's normalization of relations with Israel. Rabat has been increasing its campaign for international support of its plan of limited autonomy for the region. Abdullahi Abdu Zuru with Nigeria's Independent National Electoral Commission, INEC, says the general election scheduled for late February could be cancelled or postponed if insecurity in the country is not tackled. Ambassador Terence McCulley is a senior visiting expert at the U.S. Institute of Peace as well as chairman of the U.S.-Nigeria Council providing strategic guidance to the West Africa program. He earlier served as U.S. ambassador to Mali, Nigeria, and Côte d'Ivoire. He tells me he has great confidence in INEC and that it is important the election proceed without a hitch. Obviously, the security situation in Nigeria is, is of great concern. When I was ambassador to Nigeria, we were very concerned about the Northeast, uh, the threat from Boko Haram, and insecurity in, in the Niger Delta. But in, in the last two or three years, we've, we've seen a, really a, a proliferation of, of attacks and violence throughout the country um, from Boko Haram and, uh, and ISIS West Africa in, in the, the Northwest, violence in the Middle Belt uh, between, uh, between herders and, and farmers, insecurity in the, the Delta, violence in, uh, in the Southeast. I, I think of Nigeria's 774 local government areas that there have been reported acts of violence in over 550 uh, of the local government areas. So certainly security is a concern. Uh, and I think that the INEC and, and the chair of INEC have a right to uh, take this into account as, as they plan for this very important election.
So you actually agree with uh, Abdullahi Abduzuro, the national chairman with Nigeria's Independence National Electoral Commission, when, when he says uh, insecurity, if not monitored and dealt with, decisively it could ultimately culminate in the cancellation or postponement of elections. INEC has done a, a, a good job in, in a series of, of very important elections uh, going back to, to 2011. And we certainly have great confidence in the ability of, of INEC to oversee a, a credible and transparent process. And of course, the election is terribly important because it, it is a succession of, of credible elections uh, that uh, have taken place in, in arguably the most important country, certainly the largest economy in, in Africa. And so it's important to get it right. It's important that uh, the election proceed with, without a cloud, not only for Nigeria, but because Nigeria is such a leader in, in the continent and certainly in West Africa. So, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not on the ground. Uh, I, I don't have uh, visibility into the, the data that, uh, that INEC is seeing, but I, I certainly think that we should, you know, give credence to, uh, to the, the assessment of, of INEC. Um, when I was in Nigeria uh, in 2011, the election uh, had already started, the, the, the voting had already started, and, and Professor Jaga, the, the chair of INEC time, um, said, look, this is not, we're not ready, this isn't going well, and uh, he essentially called a redo. He, he was criticized for that, but it was ultimately the right decision. So I, I think we, we need to have um, uh, have confidence and have trust in uh, in INEC. Um, I, I can't say, uh, because I'm, I'm not there, whether the security situation really uh, warrants a, a postponement of the, of the election. I certainly hope it doesn't. But I, I think we, we really have to give a significant weight to, uh, to INEC's assessment. So, Mr. Ambassador, uh, you said it very right. Uh... As Nigeria goes, so goes Africa. And so now we have uh, 18 candidates vying to replace uh, Buhari. I mean, at least the top three. We have uh, Tubu, and then we have uh, Abiku Abu Bakar from the opposition People's Democratic Party, and Peter Obi of the Labour Party. Actually, democracy uh, working in Nigeria. Well, I think it's good news for the development of a Nigerian democracy that you have a very competitive election. Uh, Atiku Abubakar, obviously a very experienced uh, statesman and politician as a former vice president. Bola Tinubu, uh, likewise, um, two successful terms uh, as, as governor of Lagos State and, and Peter Obi as governor of Anambra. So you, you have 18 candidates, as you said, uh, three which which seem, according to the polls, to be, to be leading. It, it seems to be very competitive. That's good for uh, Nigerian democracy. It's good for, um, for, for the progression of democracy in Africa because Nigeria is such a, such a keystone uh, and such a, an important model for other countries across the continent. That was Terence McCauley, a senior visiting expert at the U.S. Institute of Peace, as well as chairman of the U.S. Nigeria Council. He spoke to me from Washington. As Nigeria prepares for its February 25th elections, youth in the West African nation say they are grateful for the not-too-young-to-run policy that was signed into law by outgoing President Mohamedou Buhari. They argue that the youth-friendly policy provides them with opportunities and enhances their chances of occupying public office. For more, VOA's Mike Hovey spoke to Ayomidi Benjamin Fejima, a 25-year-old Labour Party representative who is seeking a House of Assembly seat in Oyo State. Thank God for the reform by President Mahmoud Buhari. 
I said from 25 years old that I was signing the Not Too Young to Run bill, that from 25 years old, we can come on board to also contest. And now I'm 25 and I say, okay, I'm 25. Then let me see what I can do for my constituency. And that is why I'm on board contesting in the 2023 general elections. At 25 years, um, what exactly is inspiring you to want to run for public office and what changes are you looking to bring about? All right, I've been seeing the way they've been doing it. We can do better for our country. We can do better for Nigeria. And I, and, uh, I can't, uh, for my age, I can't say I want to go contest uh, at the presidency level. I can still start from the grassroots, which is uh, uh, the State House of Assembly. Uh, with my knowledge, I, I studied education for my degree and my master's, peace and conflict resolution. And I see, okay, I have what it takes to uh, make a positive change, not a change they've been talking about, but a positive one for my constituency, starting from the grassroots level. I have plans to, uh, to change my constituency based on the bills I'll be passing in the Augusta House of Assembly. And uh, I know positively I will impact my constituency. And that is very short thing I'm, I'm planning to do. Uh, with Nigerian elections coming up, what words would you have to your peers in terms of participation, in terms of having them not just only vote, but run for public office? Uh, as a 25 years old boy, a man, I've been, let me say, there are a lot of discouragements everywhere. People will tell you, you cannot do it, go and sit down, you don't have the money, you don't have the capacity. But I've, I've stood my ground to say, I want to make a difference. There are discouragements everywhere, especially in this part of Africa, Nigeria. Uh, you know, uh, we have the, uh, the uh, higher class, middle class, and the lower class. There are discouragements everywhere. Politics is all about money. I can tell you categorically, Mike, in Nigeria, especially my constituency, we have people, you know, vote buying are everywhere. I've concentrated my time in uh, going into grassroots, going into uh, 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 the inner part of my constituency to start educating them on why they shouldn't sell their votes, why they shouldn't, why they must participate, why they must vote their conscience, why they must vote uh, at the end of the day. So when we say youths are not participating, there are a lot of discouragement factors. I've, I've encouraged youths to come into politics. Some of my peers will say, if Benjamin can go into it, then I, sh- I can go into it. There are a lot of uh, more wealthy people than I do that are even afraid to even come into politics. When they say, Benjamin, you don't have money, you're into politics. So it means, and I'm richer than you, Benjamin. <laughs> so it means I can come into politics as well. So I've encouraged people to as well in Nigeria, even in Africa. Many people have reached out to me and say, ah, uh, something is going on in Nigeria. Uh, this particular boy, 25 years old, coming into public office, trying to come into. So I've encouraged people. And very soon, I know uh, in the next four years, coming 2027 election, we have more youth participation. VOA Africa is your trusted source for news, sports, entertainment, and music. Stay engaged with VOA Africa. We love to hear your voice. You can call us 24-7 on WhatsApp and leave a message. Leave comments, requests, or greetings. We may play your message on VOA Africa. Dial the international code plus one, then two zero two two five eight three zero seven six. VOA Africa is always happy to hear your voice. The number again is the international code plus one, then two zero two two five eight three zero seven six. 
earlier, we heard the Ayamidu Benjamin Faijima, a 25-year-old party representative, Labour Party representative, who's contesting for a House of Assembly seat in Oyo State during the upcoming February elections. He was speaking to VOA's Mike Hove via Zoom. Analysts say Somalia's public rally against the Islamist militant group Al-Shabaab was a much-needed show of unity. President Hassan Sheikh Mahmoud rallied thousands of people in the capital yesterday to support the all-out war on the group that he declared last year. The army offensives, backed by local militias and foreign allies, have retaken territory the militants held for years. But as Ahmed Mohammed reports from Mogadishu, Somalia... Analysts say regional politics are undermining the progress. Somali President Hassan Sheikh Mahmoud's call for Somalis to kick out Al-Shabaab militants from their neighborhoods and remain alert in the war against the Islamists was a welcomed show of unity, says analysts. Addressing thousands of Somalis at Mogadishu Stadium Thursday, Mahmoud said time was up for Al-Shabaab and that everyone should work to annihilate the group. He says Benadir region, which includes Mogadishu, should stand against the Khawarij, which means a deviation from Islam, and throw out the group's members. Mahmoud says they are in your homes, at your neighbors, they rented your houses, their vehicles pass near your homes. From today, he says, he wants everyone to pledge to kick them out like bedbugs. The rally comes as Somali army, with the support of clan militias and foreign allies, has been fighting an offensive against the group. Seven months of fighting has seen a Shabab pushed out of territory it has controlled for years. But the militants have also been on the offensive. Somali authorities say the group Saturday carried out attacks on government forces in central Hira region, killing more than 40. In October, twin car bombings claimed by the group at a Mogadishu market intersection killed 121 people and injured hundreds. Samira Gade is an independent Mogadishu-based political and security analyst. She tells viewers the government needs to gain public support in the fight against the militantes. It's very important that uh, operations are supported by popular support from the people, and I think that the government is ensuring that this is sustained by having the, the people involved. And so I think it's a good idea to constantly have your pulse on the people and what they really want. He says the offensive against the Ashabab has slowed down in the last few weeks as resources are stretched and the government gathers more support. Despite victories by the Somali army against the group, analysts warn that political infighting could undermine the progress. The government of Puntland, a semi-autonomous state in northeast Somalia, said in a statement Monday it had suspended cooperation with federal authorities. The statement said it would be its own government while waiting for Somali's federal constitution to be completed. Mohamed Ibrahim Rashid is founder of Lincoln Governance, a policy and government strategy consultancy in Mogadishu. He tells viewers the declaration by Buntlan could erode some of the security gains against the militantes. Rashid says the row between the federal government and Buntlan could be a challenge to the federal government and the ongoing security efforts. He says any regional state having a dispute with the federal government could be a problem. Somali's president Mohamud defeated Buntlan president Said Abdullahi Dani in last May's election. 
tensions have since grown between the two leaders over distribution of power between the federal and the state government. It's not the first time Somalia's federal government has grappled for power with regional ones. Somalia's breakaway Republic of Somaliland withdrew troops this month from disputed town of Las Anod after deadly clashes between police and protesters. Puntulan claims the town run by Somaliland, which broke from Somalia in 1991. Somalia's regional states in August suspended cooperation with the Federal Ministry of Finance, citing broken agreements by the federal government. Despite political wrangling, Somali authorities this week quantified its progress against Al-Shabaab. Prime Minister Hamza Abdi Barre said Wednesday since the offensive began in July, Somali security forces have killed more than 2,000 of militants and closed more than 250 bank accounts linked to the group. Ahmed Mohamed for VOA News, Mogadishu, Somalia. You're listening to African News Tonight on The Voice of America. I'm Yehiyas Wuhibi in Washington. The foreign ministers of France and Germany have voiced support for Africa to receive two permanent seats on the powerful UN Security Council. Maya Masakura reports from Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. German Foreign Minister Annalena Baerbock said she and French Foreign Minister Catherine Colonna added their support to an African push for permanent seats on the Security Council. Baerbock spoke after she and Kelowna met with African Union Chairperson Musa Faki at AU headquarters in Addis Ababa. So as European partners, that I as a German foreign minister, we see that the world in 2023 is not the world after the Second World War. And therefore, we are supporting two permanent seats in the Security Council also for the African continent. African leaders have for years called for a permanent seat on the powerful UN body. Outgoing African Union Chairman Macky Sall, also the president of Senegal, reiterated that demand at the September UN General Assembly. He said Africa should also have a seat in the G20 group of the world's largest economies. U.S. President Biden backed both efforts at the U.S.-Africa Leaders Summit in Washington last month. Currently, the Security Council has five permanent members, Britain, China, France, Russia, and the United States. Other countries are elected to the Council for two-year terms by the UN General Assembly. Having permanent seats on the Security Council would for the first time give African countries veto power over UN resolutions. Meanwhile, Baerbock said Russia's invasion of Ukraine underscored the importance of relations between the European Union and the African Union. As we are seeing that also the European peace order is under attack, This needs even more support from our friends. And we need you. We need Africa in defending our European peace order. Baerbach on Thursday made a visit to a World Food Program warehouse storing donated Ukrainian grain and condemned Moscow for using food as a weapon of war. She was referring to Russian forces blocking some Ukrainian grain exports as the Horn of Africa suffers through a record drought that has tens of millions struggling with hunger. The two foreign ministers also met with Ethiopia's Prime Minister, Abiy Ahmed, Thursday and called for accountability for atrocities committed during the war in the northern Tigray region. Rights groups accuse all sides of committing rapes, torture and extrajudicial killings during the two-year war. The EU suspended some support for Ethiopia over the abuses and says accountability in the war is a condition for normalizing relations. French Foreign Minister Colonna's visit will include a grant of about 30 million U.S. dollars to aid people affected by the war. 
the foreign ministers are in Addis to support a November peace deal between Ethiopia's federal government and Tigray authorities. Since the agreement, Ethiopia has restored the flow of humanitarian aid and some basic services to Tigray, while Eritrea has withdrawn its forces from parts of the region. On Tuesday, the Tigray People's Liberation Front began turning over heavy weapons to the Ethiopian army. Maya Misakir for VOA News, Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. Hello, I'm Carol Castiel. Next, a conversation with a man who exposed former President Donald Trump's abuse of power, which led to his first impeachment. We talk with retired Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman, who wrote about his experience as a Ukrainian immigrant, his career in the U.S. military, and his stint as a National Security Council advisor in the Trump White House. Alexander Vindman on his book, Here, Right Matters. That's Press Conference USA this Saturday and Sunday on The Voice of America. The United Nations is seeking funds to support more than 30 million children suffering from acute malnutrition in countries affected by the food crisis. 13 of the 15 most serious affected countries are in Africa, Burkina Faso, the DRC, Chad, Ethiopia, Kenya, Mali, Madagascar, Niger, Nigeria, Somalia, Sudan, South Sudan, and Yemen. The UN Action Plan targets children, mothers, and caregivers of children under the age of five. And with that, we wrap up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Dimi Muakali Elie, and our engineer, Nelson Lopes, thanks for